I love this town. I love this town just like loving a hamburger on a sesame bun. This week on Wotown, we're talking about the mob. Some of you outsiders think New Jersey, you think the mob. Well, guess what? Me and Mike D and Bonaduce are going to tell you how that really goes. There must be something in the water in West Orange. I preach such avant-garde kids are going to start shit. In parks where we spit arson and sparks flips. Essex County, America's armpit. Carnival. Oh boy, that flea market. I bought a crossbow there. And I imagine it was sort of a two Roman legions charging at each other. Uh, Intertown fighting. Some people have been there in the middle of the night to whip pumas with belts. The last time I got in a fist fight, I threw a carton of Clinton's orange aid at a man's face. I'm going to take you to this terrible, crime-ridden city and then I'm going to pull my pants down on you. No, I've never had a hoagie in my life. Or a grinder. This is like a weird vortex that doesn't apply to the laws of time and space. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wotown. This is Chris Gether, joined, as always, by uh, two near and dear friends of mine who I've known since I was a, a literal child. Mike D, Nikki Bonaduce. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing Very good, man. Wonderful. This episode, we're going to be talking about the mob, which I feel like a lot of people think New Jersey, they think mob because of Sopranos. And I think that that's... Uh, I don't know how you guys feel about it, because I feel like it's fair. It's fair to say that the mob has a strong presence in New Jersey. I don't know if the Sopranos stuff is totally fair. That feels like people gawking at us. But the mob is just kind of a thing. I don't know how you guys feel about it. Hmm. You know, it's just sort of like a like a regular presence, right? Like you you know, like growing up you would know like, oh, you know, certain people were connected, which meant they could act act in certain ways. And you know, I mean it, at least for me, it wasn't really good or bad. It just was. It was like certain people were connected and they could do things you couldn't do. Or sometimes they might, you know, be able to give you a favor. They were big on sponsoring Little League teams. That was a huge <laughs> public <laughs> yes. service provided by, by the See, mob. Sopranos fans think it's all just waste disposal companies. No, it's waste disposal companies and Little League teams. Those are the two rackets. I think you're, I want to go around because I feel like one thing that happens when you grow up in North Jersey, South Jersey, I'm sure too, but at least where we're from, like you said, Mike, you just, you're just aware of certain things. Like, uh, I'm sure we all have stories. Like I know for me, my mom was a teacher in South Orange she said there were these three or four families and all the teachers were always psyched when you got one of these kids in your class because at Christmas, most of the kids didn't give the teachers a gift. And then if you had one of these certain kids with certain last names, they'd give you gifts that were worth like hundreds of dollars. Everyone's like, what's going on? And then one day my mom opens up the star ledger and sees that there's been like a big giant mafia bust and every last name from the school was listed and then none of those kids appeared in the school ever again. again. They just all like got pulled from the school. And that's just like a thing that happened to my mom. Like that's how it it is like that out there. There's a lot of truth to it. Yeah, there's like entire industries like that are controlled and manipulated by it. Like, you know, it's uh I mean a, it's a couple institutionalized of months ago, in a lot of ways, but uh you know, you're never gonna eliminate you know, organized crime from everything. They've just uh, you know, they kind of evolved from what we used to see to like being more, uh, I think like white collar now, you know. Indeed, indeed. Mike, you were saying a couple of months ago, my mom was like, "Oh, could you come over and help me like carry down a bunch of like boxes that have been in my attic forever?" So I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." So like, I go over there and I'm like hauling down all these boxes, and she's like, "Oh," and so I'm going through them, and one of them was like. I don't know, like a box of stuff from when I was like a little kid in grammar school. One of those things, you know, like somebody will give you a book and like every page it'll be like kindergarten, first grade. And it has a place like you tape your school picture there. You like, you know, it has like a little pocket to put your report card in. Then it'll be like, what do you want to be when you grow up? So in my first grade one, I had filled in and I guess whatever I was, you know, in first grade 1982, it was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wrote a fresh homeboy who was part of the mob. And that is like <laughs> in this thing. And that was like exactly when I was a kid, that was my aspiration. Like I wanted to be a fresh homeboy, but I also wanted to be part of the mob because it was just like, that was what the, the cool, the cool people were. They were homeboys See, and mobs. 
mobsters. So you liked the mob. You like what they stood for. You like what you did, but you felt like they kind of needed a facelift, some new style that hadn't really been injected into them before. Let's drop the uh, sharp suits and let's get some Adidas pants in there. I mean, I could, yeah, I mean, they already had the track suits, right? That was like uh-huh, a big uh-huh. thing. Like the people who had the best track suits were the guys who like hung on Bloomfield Avenue and went to the jetty when I was a kid, like real, like matching, you know, Gucci track suits. And so I was like, you know, they're almost there. But I was like me, I'm trying to, I'm ahead of the time in 1982 as a first grader. Like I'm going to combine the two things I like, you know, fresh homeboy who's part of the mob. I know I grew up uh, on Franklin Avenue for the first five years of my life, uh, pretty much right across the street from Washington School. And at the corner of, of Franklin Avenue Main Street, there was Johnny's Pizzeria, which was, I remember being very good pizza. But my grandfather, we always used to walk by it. And my grandfather would always go, he'd go, why do they need so many telephone lines? What's, why are there so many telephone wires going into one pizzeria? It doesn't make any sense. I'm telling you, there's something going on. And the place shut down for a while, and I, I did always hear the rumor that it turned out that they were a bookmaking operation, that you could get your pizza, you could get your calzone, you could also uh, check the spread on the, the Giants. Money. Yeah, make a little money if you felt like it. Make a little money if Put you felt like it. Put your on the Jets for the, <laughs> for the weekend and hope they cover. That was just at the end of my block. There's yeah, just a I, thing um, at the end of my I was block. Actually, it was interesting because I was talking to um, a guy who worked at work, and he's a uh, labor and... Um, this guy, I think he's uh, Haitian. Anyway, he, he has his barbershop he goes to, and he said they run like a professional, like computerized baseball betting thing, like through this whole network of like, lo- instead of like, you know, like an underground online kind of thing, you go to the barbershop and you bet on your baseball there specifically. Like they all like to bet on baseball. That's like their big thing. I found out about that, some kind of like weird underground, how underground you know, local gambling has like evolved. Yeah. You no longer go to the bar and like write your name on the thing or like you're, I mean, when we were kids, right. They would come around with like slips. Right. And you would fill out like a ticket with your, yeah, picks like, for the football week. like a yeah, football ticket was like $10. I think that was probably the most Very common, popular. like, a, you know, before you had like a, before you had a legal sports book or, or, you know, that was what people did. I had a buddy who, before he moved to West Orange, he grew up in Lodi, and his dad once got busted because he used to go to a deli that had a secret back room with poker, uh, with video kino machines. <laughs> and the cops kicked down the door. He's back there playing video kino, which is also crazy when you think about it, because we live like, Atlantic City is a drive, but like... You can if you really need to play Kino that bad. You can get there in a couple hours. But he wanted to play the video, the video Kino in low Give me convenience or give me death, right? Yeah, but yeah. real talk. Would you rather risk arrest or risk going to Atlantic City? Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> you know, I didn't go to Atlantic. Atlantic City was like the one really big Jersey tradition that I didn't do until a few years ago, and it is uh, everything they say and less. Man, that place is. That place is not. You gotta cool. go there and have a different kind of experience. Like, we'll go there and have a different experience in Atlantic City. I've I've had to. I went there for my buddy's strip club. And first of all, it was like or oh, my buddy's bachelor party. Rather, the worst. well, my my buddy's bachelor party. We decided to go to a strip club, and it was like we could pick from two of them. Some people were like, "This one sounds better." This one sounds better, and we wound up going to the one, and then we heard. Uh, the next morning we heard that the one we didn't go to, the ceiling entirely collapsed when we would have been there. You imagine being in an Atlantic City strip club and this fucking ceiling comes down on you? That's like how many how many weekends a year do you think a ceiling collapses in a strip club in Atlantic City? Let's say roughly yeah. twenty weekends a year. <laughs> During the business. You could probably bet on it. There's probably like a betting line. Like, mm-hmm. is this going to be the weekend where the ceiling yeah. comes down? It's supposed to be real nice to go down there and bet, too. Just hang out and have drinks and, like, bet. You can bet on anything. Now, Mike, I, I can't help but notice, so full disclosure for anybody listening, we keep these documents where we just jot down ideas. And I, I can't help but notice that it seems like you have more mafia experience than any of us, by far. There's a, 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 a real uh, bounty of stories here that you have listed. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, one, I'm Italian, right? So that that doesn't hurt if you're if you're if you're Italian and from North Jersey, probably. But also, 
you know, I, I grew up on the block where the Belmont Tavern is, which is, you know, it's, I would say it's like neutral territory. Like it's not like a mobbed up joint itself, but a lot of people, you know, who, who are from, who are from the mob hang out there, you know? I mean, you, I mean, and it's like, it was like, you have the, to wait. Uh, it was like the place where they all hung out and, uh, whatchamacallit? Jersey boys. No, the other, uh, <laughs> Goodfellas. Oh, yeah, and Goodfellas. And, all, and then they wind up having to burn it down later on. It was like when they introduced everybody there. It was like, that's like the Belmont Tavern. <laughs> now, wait, I'm not familiar with the Belmont Tavern. I've never been. Is that. Oh, man. What's, is that Belleville? It's classic. It, it's like right. It's, it's like right on the border of Belleville and Newark. Like literally, like directly on the border on Bloomfield Avenue. Like you could toss a rock either way. Um, home of home of stretches, Chicken Savoy, which I know is going to be a sore spot for Nick to bring up to bring well, up stretch I, I, and his Chicken I wasn't Savoy. Upset. I was actually. Um, yeah. Wait, what does this mean? What is this Chicken Savoy so, controversy? I'll I'll tell what Chicken Savoy is, and then Nick can tell the, his part of the story, which is which is insane. So the Belmont Tavern is there's a guy called Stretch, and he was like. The chef at the Belmont Tavern, going back to I don't like time the, immemorial. The secret like, of chicken savoy, and they they still have a sign in the window that says like stretches chicken savoy, and it has like a draw, outline drawing of like stretch, like an Alfred Hitchcock silhouette, and it's like this special chicken that they only make at the Belmont Tavern, and it's kind of like. They put a chicken in like a super hot oven and they like throw vinegar on it and some other stuff they don't tell you and it like caramelizes and that's like one of the things. They're famous for Stretch's Chicken Savoy, Gava Deal and Pot Cheese and then Beeps, which are like a kind of like shrimp that they make. Those are the things that they're famous for. And then many years later in West Orange, Stretch opened up a restaurant there, which is where Nick enters the story with Stretch. Yeah, we were in uh, we were in Taxidi, and uh, for we driving- that was your car. Taxidi oh, was yeah. the name of your car in high school. For anyone listening, <laughs> they're driving, but right by Star Star uh, Starlight driving north up there, and uh, we stop around that turn and we get rear-ended by Stretch. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, like my dad's gonna kill me. I just got rear-ended. We're like, pull over him. He was like, guy gets out. He's like, oh, what's the problem? I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Just like. You read to me, you motherfucker. He's like, oh, chill out. He takes out his wallet and he gives me a card. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And it's like stretches. It has like his head on it, the whole thing. And he goes, turn it over. So I turn it over. It says like free chicken savoy, like, you know, savoy actually, on the back of the card. I was like, what? I, was like, I don't want chicken. You just rear-ended my car. Like, you got to, like, fix the bumper. Like, going to call insurance. Or no, no, no. We're not going to call insurance. I'm like, all right, well, whatever. Like, thinking about it later on. And we're like, get back in the car. I forgot who was like, I think Mike D was in there or whatever. And um, so, like, later on, <laughs> I think, like, the next day, I think I took Mike D with me up to, like, we actually went up to stretches. Like, I went, went up to stretches. To, went up to stretches myself. And, like, I walked in there and I pulled out the car. And I was like, yo, we need to talk about <laughs> fixing my dad's car. And he's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, I said, damn, I have some chicken. I was like, I don't want any chicken. I said, you got to fix the car. and like, come out and look at it. And so, like, there's this old man, like, and he's, like, looking at me, and he's sitting there. And he looks at me, he goes like this. I was like, yeah. He's like, come over. And he, he goes, what happened? I said, I said he rear-ended me. He says, he doesn't want to fix, uh, fix the car. I was like, you know, I need, I need money for it. He goes, how much you need? <laughs> what, I'm getting, like, 250 bucks from I was like, oh, I got to buff it out and have them paint it. You know, like, well, he gives me the money. He goes, no problem. And like I left, no problem, no harm, no foul. I'm lucky I didn't get shot in the back of the head or something like that. So I told my mom what happened, and she and she told me two things. She was like, one, she was like, she's like, that stretched the sun. That's not the original stretch. Oh, right, right. Like that's that's the sun <laughs> who also sun. goes by stretch. But she was like, you can't do that. She's like, you're lucky that like you guys made. She's like, you went down to his restaurant, tried to shake him down. Like she's like, you're really lucky. She's like, he probably just let you go because you're teenagers. But like, don't ever do that again. Like you can't go to stretch and. It was a legitimate. I think they understood my argument was that it was a legitimate. Like you know, look at my car. Look what you did to it. You actually did hit me from behind, and we didn't call insurance. So I think they respected, you know, maybe me just approaching him. I mean, I wasn't yelling at him. 
I was like, somebody's got to fix a car. Yeah, you can't fix your bumper with chicken. <laughs> Let me rub this chicken Savoy on there. <laughs> Mike, tell me about premium petroleum. What is this a reference to? So, <clears throat> much like your grandfather, my, my father thought and said that everything was a front. Anything you drive by, he'd be like, that comic book store can't make money. It's a front. You know, oh, that, that deli, front. And the crazy thing is 50% of the time he was right. So there, there was this street like adjacent to where I grew up and we'd have to drive down there, you know, to go anywhere, basically go to church, go to school. And there was this little storefront called Premium Petroleum. And it was just like a little storefront, you know, you would drive by and every day we would drive by and my father would be like, God, oh, that's a front, that's a front. And I'd be like, yeah, like at that point I was probably like eight or nine. I just got sick of hearing him saying things were fronts. I didn't even really quite <laughs> understand what a front was. Like I sort of knew that it was fake. And I'm like, okay, so one day he grabs me like, come downstairs, come downstairs. I'm like, oh shit. Like, what did I do now? So I go downstairs and, uh, and I guess we had HBO, which actually we, I don't know. We, we, we had every technological contraption, but no money. But so we had, we had HBO and he's like, look at this, look at this. And it was HBO undercover. It was that show, which, you know, it became, it ran for years and years. I mean, I think they even made them until like somewhat recently and HBO undercover had set up hidden cameras outside of premium petroleum and did a whole investigation that it was actually a front. Like it was legitimately a mafia front. He was like, I told you, I told you, see, I was right. And I was like, I never said you were wrong. (laughs) Like I'm I'm eight. What do I know about fronts? But like, that's how common those things were. was like anything was probably a front for something else and i actually tried to look up and find the the actual show like it's not online anywhere but i was able to find references that i didn't just imagine this. there used to be actually, yeah there was, this was great a real series it was like uh it was like an hbo i remember an old series and it was all like mafia like based and like most of it was like new york new jersey mafia based like um the actual audio video surveillance and like what was going down and how they set them up and everything yeah it's like all kinds of I, I, there was an oldie HBO used to have better shows like that. Now, I think it's very clear that we've proven that this is real. It, it's it's just a thing that you're kind of vaguely aware exists when you grow up in New Jersey. Some people have more exposure to it than others. Uh, but something we all kind of just have ingrained in us, being three guys from West Orange, though, there's a place, I think you guys are going to be able to speak to it more than I can because it was on on your side of town. But even I knew about it. If you If you drive on Mount Pleasant Avenue... In West Orange, New Jersey, there's a there's a stretch where there's a long stone wall, and then there is a gap in the wall that's like blinking you'd miss it, and it's a driveway and it's unmarked, and it honestly is if you didn't know it was there you wouldn't even see it, and it was referred to around town as Mafia Road, because the rumor was that every family who lived on it was in the mafia, and I never knew how real it was until I met you guys from the other side of town. Because you guys used to tell me that in in the ill-advised fashion that you guys would, since you were all fucking psychopaths from your neighborhood, that you would routinely sneak in there to kind of suss it out yourselves. True or false? True. True. Well, the thing is, like you said, you would blink and you would miss it because the part of it that was close to the road was a stone wall, but it was completely overgrown with like trees and vegetation and even on the other side of the wall, it was overgrown too. So, and there was no sign. You would never know that this thing was there unless you had a reason to look for it. But we just were, you know, we lived so close to it. We're like, Oh, what is this? Like, is there some kind of like Dungeons and Dragons adventure behind this secret road? Like, let's go check it out. Like that play school used to be down that road too, over there. Remember the the one at the top of the hill? What was that called? Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Oh, that's... It was yeah, right near was Mount a, Fuji. If you yeah, if you right know West Mount Orange, Fuji, you might exactly. know Mount Fuji. It was just near the radio like, towers. Yes, couple hundred yards down the hill from Mount Fuji. If you if you know West Adjacent Orange, well to Thieves, Thieves Cove, Thieves Cove, and the strange Thieves Cove. What? It's talking about Smuggler's so, Cove. There, there was a. So, all right, let, let me give a quick geography lesson. So, the very top of West Orange Mountain. 
there was a Japanese restaurant called Mount Fuji. And then directly behind that, there was a radio station and a giant, giant radio antenna because that was like the highest point, right, for for miles around. Yeah, a lot of of places like broadcast from had their uh, antennas up in that. But yeah, it was known as that. That was like a crazy religious channel there. Yeah, and you could hear they piped it out of speakers. And so if you kind of went around the side of that radio station – there was like woods on the back, but there was this little curved road that didn't go anywhere. It was tiny. It was maybe like a sixteenth of a mile. And we called the Thieves Cove because we would go up to the Essex Green Shopping Center, shoplift Dungeons and Dragons books, and then escape back there. And that's where we would like open up our containers and tally up our loot of like mag lights, batteries, and Dungeons and Dragons books. So it earned the name Thieves Cove. Fair. Fair. Now one thing I want to hear what it was like to hang it on Mafia Road. I always heard rumors that if you went back there, you'd be escorted out or intimidated out. I do distinctly remember, I think it was your brother, Fran, Mike, who told me that at least he, I don't know if either of you can verify this, was up there one day and found in one of these mansions' backyards, there was an in-ground pool with no water in it, and instead it was full of vicious dogs. True or false? True. Yeah, It and... I don't, thinking back on it, I don't think it was an in-ground pool. I think it was actually just a cement dog kennel, but it was filled with like Doberman pinchers and it was sunk into the ground. I think at the time we thought it was an in-ground pool because I'd never seen like the kind of dog kennels that people who have money have, but that's, yeah, for real, like half a dozen big, scary, you know, well-trained Dobermans in a concrete pit. Keep in mind when you're up there, you're on... You're, you're going right along the ridge of the mountain there. So if you're walking and New York is on your left and you're going that direction, like in, you only have like a couple directions to go there. You can't go that way. You'll go down the cliff. You know what I mean? So when you get to that distinct like property line there, all of a sudden just like changes. And um, I don't know. It's definitely like a shady area because you're, if you ever get trapped over there or something, like we'd be running along that ridge to get back out to like Mount Pleasant or cut down the hill. Uh, below the condos and stuff like that, I mean, you had to be you had to be mindful of that you know you don't accidentally run off the side of that cliff over there. This, you're, I, I like that these are just stories we tell, and other people are listening. And I have to imagine going, what are these guys talking about? That as children, they would sneak into a mafia man's backyard, flee a pool full of dogs, and have to be careful not to run off a cliff. I don't think most people grew up this way, is my theory. That's the premise of this whole podcast, is that West Orange has specific stories. Did you ever run into people up there? Were you ever chased out? I, I, I heard stories of straight-up guards with Tommy guns. I don't know if you guys heard stories of that but i always heard that there were like guys up there with machine guns only rarely rarely did we ever see people up there but to be fair we had a very detailed system of how to sneak in and out of there that we built up over time there was like a certain system of like waypoints that you went to that could get you in and out yeah you didn't have to go all the way up to the you didn't have to actually go in via the road but if you did go in that way you had to cut towards the ridgeline so you stay off the road the whole way in but you You would go and also we had a neighborhood ninja who was what what are you talking about doesn't every neighborhood have a neighborhood ninja no this is west arch this is where we don't realize because i don't know if you guys understand this most people would not say that every neighborhood has a ninja what is going on nick is nick is now putting us in the middle of the woods we did have a whisper 2000 what who is your neighborhood ninja what are you talking about that your neighborhood had a ninja? Eddie a ninja. Ragu was the neighborhood ninja. You know how like every you know, every kid in the neighborhood fit a role and he was the neighborhood ninja, which was part his ability to sneak around places, but I think also just his utter like lack of his own safety or fear, which meant he was happy to do anything regardless of how dangerous or insane it might be. So he was like a good person to to be the first one to go down any of these things. So if the if the mafia was going to kill someone, they were going to catch and kill Eddie Ragu at the end of the day. Now, Mike D, you did create a map. I'm going to go ahead and say that I think when when this episode comes out, we should distribute the link to this map. Seems to be a tour of Mafia Road. Do you want to walk us through what this is? Sure. I put Nick, I put the 
<clears throat> I put the link in so you yeah, can share it. Yeah, I'm clicking on it right <clears throat> now. You'll re- <clears throat> recognize every one of these places. So. Oh, Sestone Wood. <laughs> Sestone Wood. Oh, nice. It's all zoomed in. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, and I actually discovered a few things which are kind of fairly amazing as now an adult man. <laughs> this so. also looks like it took you some time, Mike D. Oh. Yeah, it took me the length of one canceled uh, work call this afternoon. <laughs> and this was <laughs> exactly uh, what I did. Making GIS um, work for you. So, so basically it starts off, and if you know where this road entrance was, you could walk in off this main road. And you would walk in off the main road, and it was a paved road, but it was thin and it wasn't huge. Like it, it wasn't a dirt road, but very quickly um, we would we would walk in there and there's woods to both sides of you. And in the woods on one side of it, there was a trail if you knew where to look. So we would go in there and we would follow this trail um, for a little bit. And the crazy thing was you would get to the end of this trail and you came to basically like a crumbling stone wall. And at this point you're on the top of a huge cliff. And we used to call it the lookout, and it had an absolutely straight line view of New York City. Like you're at basically the highest point on the mountain. And so a lot of people, you would sometimes see people there because people knew where that was and it wasn't hard to get to. And, and you wanna, know, it was like a place I where kids would pause hang you out. if I can. This map, everybody should go to this map. We're going to distribute the link with the episode. You can click on the left where it says the lookout. It's and awesome. it take, you can see the cliff. You can see, you can see the actual cliff. Okay. So this is like an actual guided tour of mafia road yes i i went through and i located all the places <laughs> that i thought were important <laughs> to okay. if you were to go there today so we've got the lookout on the cliff so sometimes you see people around there and so awesome. then you would go to this lookout and you could hang out there and it was really cool and i remember there's an infamous story there where some oh, people that house. we went to high school with went up there and they got a hold of a couple of rifles and they went up there and they basically shot out all these car windows from up there with rifles. Like just went up there and were just blasting out car windows. And they had been doing this for like a period of time. And eventually, maybe like the fifth or sixth time they did it, they got caught. But like so basically they went up there and used this as a as a sniper's nest. And to my knowledge, Beautiful. no one Beautiful. was killed, but a lot of property was destroyed. All right, the West Orange Way, the West Orange Way. It looks like our next stop on the tour is listed as very old abandoned truck. Right, so then once you left where the lookout was, that was where very few people would go because it started to get a little weird and spooky, right, Nick? And you would go through, and in the middle of the woods, there was this really old, I think this is where some of like, the like Tommy gun gangster legends. It was like an old, super old, like 1930s pickup truck, like the kind of thing you'd see in a mob movie. And it had clearly been sitting there in the woods forever. Like it was rusted. Trees were growing around it, but it was just like sitting there, you know, and you can go, you could hang out in it if you wanted to. And now these buildings starting to see buildings and fields carved out of the woods. Is that the actual like compound of houses back there that I'm seeing on the map? So most of that stuff wasn't there but some of those houses towards the back that you can go to were there and i think the really the really crazy thing is if you look i checked off one thing that says helicopter pad yeah 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 it's actually there like look oh, if wow. you zoom in on that it's still there like there was a helicopter pad back oh yeah there that's still there would, i guarantee yeah it. but that big development that is on sestone road there was not that, there right no, that the, the it's called Brookdale and West Orange, like right there. I think that whole area was developed there. That's the funeral home, or not the uh, the old age home that Tony Soprano puts his mother in, is in West Orange, and that's the one they filmed that there. Like that's where I, it was supposed to be based. I wonder Green if David Grove. Chase knew this is authentic because we are right next to a dog pit and helicopter pad used by the actual mafia. I wonder if that's why part of why he picked that as the location. Maybe just because it's Essex County. Somebody ever brought him back there, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious. I think what it was. (laughs) Now, and I do. I want to encourage everybody to go on Mike D's Mafia Road tour because I am looking right now at an image of the helicopter pet. This is real. This is not us exaggerating. That is really good. And now the dog pit. You've marked down the dog pit. I see. Yeah, that's where I think it was. And if you look, there is some type of big 
concrete structure there. And I'm pretty sure that's exactly where it was. And like we would come in, you'd go to the lookout, you'd walk through the woods to where that car was. And then after you left the car was where it started to get really scary because that's where the people lived. And that's where you'd see the helicopter park sometime. That's where you'd see the dogs in the pit. And then eventually we got up the courage to even sneak through that area once and get by, get by the dogs, which if I remember the neighborhood ninja was like, I brought some slim gyms. I think I can like throw these down to, to distract the dogs. It's uh, funny if you look at that waypoint that you have in there at Dog Pit. Just look like to the north and to the east of it. That little those buildings down below. That line right there. That's the cliff that their that their property boundary is on the one side. Is like actually a cliff right there. If you can see it. How high do you think that cliff is? It's probably pretty high, right? Yeah, I'd say at least a hundred feet, hundred fifty feet, probably something now. The next item is kind of a a tangent, not mafia-related, but you guys always told me about this. I never went with you to the cold house, but I long heard the legends of the cold house. Do you want to talk to me about this? Sure. It was was like kind of down that same road if you just stayed on that road and and, um, went all the way down there and it got like kind of woodsy for a while. And then the road kind of like ended, but if you kept on staying on it, like you came up to like the back part of, um, I don't know, not quite up to the Shillelagh Club, but before that, yeah, it was just like this old house, but it was it was open, the electric was on, and I forgot why we started hanging out there. We like discovered it in the summertime or something like that, but we went in there and like it was cold. Like you could hang meat in there. It was so cold. There was no air conditioners or anything like that. There was like some you know, pine trees around that might have kept it cool. You know, from getting like too hot from being in the sun, but it was like you could see your breath as soon as you walked into the house. Like that's how cold it was, and there was just like any time of year. You go in there; it's ninety-eight degrees out, and you're seeing your breath. I mean, the first time we went in there, we were exploring Sestone Wood. We'd gone through. We snuck past where the dog pit was, and then, like Nick said, you're walking through the woods, and all of a sudden, there's like a little clearing. And there's a house there, an old house, but like a, a real house, like not a shack, not a, you know, something, but like a house probably looked like it was built in like the 20s, like wood, paints peeling. So we poke around and we don't see, you know, it looks like nobody lives there. So of course we're like, oh, it's abandoned. We'll go inside. So we open up the house and we get in. And the crazy thing about it is we start walking around and parts of the house are like six or seven inches deep with torn up Bible pages. I Whoa. mean, they're they're everywhere. And not just like, Whoa. oh, some like kids who like Metallica tore up a Bible. It's like enough that it was like what hamsters walk on. <laughs> like it was like, <laughs> it was really thick and it was everywhere. And, if, and we're looking at it and we're like, what is this? And we're like, oh, wait, like some of us have been to church like nick is an altar boy like these are these are bibles that are torn up here like someone took a significant amount of time to tear up that many bibles like it wasn't something that happened in a minute it was and then like yeah it was part of that korean church which was weird because they were like i don't think that that wasn't built yet or was being built it was being built yeah it's just like this house sitting in the middle of the woods there. And like, I think they used to hold like maybe religious services there before they could had enough money to buy like a a real like piece of property, the property in front and develop it, you know? So So I love that you set out looking for the mafia. You set out looking to infiltrate the mafia's property and you come across an abandoned house that's ice cold and full of uh, eviscerated Bibles. Very, very West Orange, New Jersey. It was August 1993, and it was, and I know that because I had a job at Shoprite, and I remember (laughs) that I like was coming back from work, and they were like, "Oh, let's let's go explore," and I was like, "All right, let me go take off, let me go drop off my Shoprite apron at home before we do this," and and it was extremely hot, and you would walk around in there, and it was freezing cold. I mean, like Nick said, you could see your breath and yeah, no air conditioner, no nothing. It was the strangest thing. And yeah, we, and we walked around there and I think that was maybe the only time we ever went inside after that because it was just like something was deathly wrong with that place. Talk to me about the abandoned school, the next stop on our tour. That was, uh, do you know the name of it? I, that's what I was just trying to remember right now. As soon as you said that, I was like, uh, I can't remember... 
if it was like a Catholic school, they closed or whatever. But I know that um, Seton Hall used to use the field in the back for like a long time. So you you would leave the cold house, you would go through the woods, then you would have to sort of traverse around the back of the friendly sons of the Shillelagh. And then when you cleared that, because there might be people there, you came upon this other really large abandoned school. And we figured out a way that you could like um, you could jam up the cages on the window with a piece of wood and just climb inside pretty easily because it was all locked up. But when you went inside, like, you know, it was pitch black and all the like people had pulled down all the fluorescent lights and the ballasts. So there was wires and like ballasts hanging everywhere. So you'd be looking down a hallway and all you saw was like just the shadow of these things like swaying down the hallway. And there was like inches of water on the floor everywhere. That place was real scary. So we had the cold house abandoned school and those are different than what you've marked next, which is the abandoned party house. Mm. Yes. That was a really great house. Talk yeah, to me that about was this. A, I wish I had a street view of that. That'd be awesome. It's Nick, why was it such now. an awesome house? It was uh, architecturally, it was just like a really cool, older type home, probably built in like the 20s or 30s. And uh, that this whole area had um, a lot of interesting uh, types of home, like ar- architecturally anyway, for like West Orange. Like even like my neighborhood down there, same thing. There were like these beautiful older homes, but this was like a beautiful older home that like people used to hang out in, but it was like, just like you would love to live in this house. It was like a great house. And why was this the party house? I can imagine lots of people getting fucked up in this house. We found this house and like, you said, this was kind of like our hobby was finding these things. And as, as teenage kids will do, to impress other teenage kids and maybe like, you know, make out. We told other kids about this house, like, oh, we've got this cool abandoned house. But what happened was it quickly spiraled out of control and word got around like, oh, there's this like really cool house. And I remember we went there one night and there were like 70 kids in there just like, you know, partying (laughs) out of control. And we were like, oh, I guess this is done. It's like a couple blocks right off of like Gregory Avenue. There's no other way out except for that road. So if you were up there and the cops came, then you got like stuck there and they were going to get you anyway. So, Which is eventually what happened. Yeah. I imagine so. We're, so. And we're that, usually traveling on foot, so it didn't matter. <laughs> this next stop on this tour, and, and here's what I love about how we grew up, is again, this started out with us talking about a dog pit and a helicopter pit. It's now gone on a tour of haunted mansions, uh, houses infiltrated for partying. And this is a, a truly legendary thing that I've long heard the mythology around. Talk to me about the rafting dungeon tunnel. So as, as part of our explorations, right, the area, the area that we're talking about, we colloquially referred to as Sestone Wood because that was like the family and you know, as like fantasy D and D kids, we had to give everything like a Tolkien S name. So it became Sestone Wood. So there were two ways into Sestone Wood. There was the way I just described where you went in through the road, but there was this other way you could go into off another road where like you could kind of basically like climb through these bushes and there was a back way in. And so we used to do that sometimes, but we didn't do it a lot because it was hard to get through there and it was always muddy. But we were poking around there one day and we found Basically, if you can picture what a dungeon looks like, I mean, it had like it was like basically a a, a finished like raw rough stone opening in the side of a mountain, and it was a dark tunnel. And we're like, oh my god, guys, it's finally happened! Like we finally found a real a real dungeon. We finally found the passage to to the D and D world. Like we're there. This is it. So a bunch of us were like, oh, this is great. We walk in about two feet and all of a sudden we're like, oh my God, we're like knee deep in icy water. Like we're like, the whole thing is flooded. So we're like, all right, clearly nothing good in this world comes without effort. So we hatch a plan, which is like, all right, we're going to get one of those like inflatable boats. We're going to get some like fishermen's waders. We're going to come back here and we're going to explore this thing. So over the next like week or two, we go and I don't know, somehow I guess we go to like Caldor, we buy an inflatable boat. Uh, we, we, we look for fishing waders. We're not able to obtain these. We're like, you know, what's as good as fishing waders, garbage bags and rubber bands. So, Oh, and make this at this point, 
we're definitely older at this point. I think I'm, I'm a junior, a senior in high school. One of the people we were with was in college already. Like, was fully, like, an adult in college with, like, an apartment. Like, this was not Goonies. This was not... You weren't, like, little kids. This was... You guys... Had, some of you had jobs, girlfriends. This was past this point where this should have been happening. I mean, multiple people involved in this had driver's licenses already. Like, yeah, we were no longer... This wasn't, like, children having a last summer before we discover adulthood. It was, it was now criminal trespassing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we plan a day that we're going to do this. We, we all like meet at the tennis courts, which was a place that we would meet to like set out on these things. We have all this gear. We have an inflatable boat. We have like all these garbage bags. We have a lot of weapons because we were always concerned that, you know, I guess we might have to have it out with mobsters. Um, so we, we, we go to this place, we get to like the dungeon entrance, we take out this boat, we're like, all right, what do we do now? And we have like one of those foot pumps that it comes with. And we're like, oh, we'll blow it up in five minutes. Two hours later, we're like, oh my God, we're still pumping the thing, we're pumping it. Finally, the thing is like, we're all like exhausted, it's like sticky and gross out, we're like adult men, we're all wearing like weird old like ill-fitting clothes because we don't want to ruin our clothes. Like I remember I had on one of those flannel shirts that had like the puffy insulation on the inside <laughs> so we're doing this we finally get the boat inflated we're like all right guys this is it we, we pack it up we've got like food flashlights weapons and like three of us get in the boat and the next person goes to get in and we're like he gets in and the boat starts to sink and we're like oh this isn't gonna work and they're like that's all right that's why we brought the garbage bags so my brother the neighborhood ninja they get on the side they take garbage bags and they pull them up to like their thighs they tie them off with like bungee cords and we set off on this on this adventure so we're rowing down this sewer tunnel three adult men in an inflatable boat two adult men wearing garbage bags and we get a few feet in and we're shining the flashlight around and the neighborhood ninja like screeches oh my god oh my god it's a monster it's a Everybody starts like swinging knives around. Like, oh my god! And we finally see it, and it's a cave cricket, which I had never seen uh, before. Uh, wow. And they're they're creepy. They're little, but like you know, we're we're not like I'm not like man of the woods. So we see this thing, we freak out, we kill it. We're like, all right. So we're going through. We're, we're rowing down a little more. And then all of a sudden, we hear the neighborhood ninja screams again. And he goes, "Oh my god, my bag popped!" <laughs> And his garbage bag had popped and started filling with icy water. So he jumps into the boat. The boat capsizes. And all of us are now in this, like, filthy, freezing cold, like, sewer runoff. Where I'm like, this is it. Like, I'm done, guys. Let's leave. They're like, no, we can't. We have to get to the end. So at this point, we're all wet. So some of us get back in the boat. The rest are just go. We go, like, another maybe, like, 50 feet, and it dead ends at a wall. And we're like, oh, I guess that's the end of it. And my brother's like, no, it's not the end. And he spends 20 minutes, like, twisting every stone at the back of the thing. He's, like, pounding on it with sticks. Like, I know there's a secret door here. There has to be. There's always a secret door. He's also, like, 17 years old. He's an adult. He's, like, basically, like, in all but he, – he can't vote, but in all other ways is an adult. And then, and then finally, after 20 minutes of that, we leave – and we're like shamefully walking down Gregory Avenue, like filthy, soaking wet, dragging like a half popped inflatable boat. Two people are wearing broken garbage bags on their legs. And like, this is one of the most like trafficked roads in the town. People we know are driving by. Like, you know, and that was kind of like when I knew, I think, I think the time for like adventuring is like probably not working because now we just look like crazy people. Wow. Wow. Which brings us to the last stop on the guided tour which is labeled simply, after everything we've already heard, this one is labeled really scary haunted house. More than the ice house, more than the dungeon that you rafted through, or the abandoned school. Why is this the really scary haunted house? You know the one, Nick. The the big mansion. Zooming to it now. Really scary house. Am I looking? Is that the house, or has it been like knocked down and redeveloped? I couldn't tell. I the house the across back. the street from that is one of my most favorite houses in West Orange. Absolutely. It has a great... Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a great area. Talk to me about this really scary haunted house. 
Yeah, so I was going to let Nick take this one. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just looking at it. My, it's so funny. I I can't remember the last name of that family, but um, my sister went to school with a kid who was um, who lived in that house, and I forgot their names. But I thought he was a doctor or something like that. I can't remember. He lived in the scary haunted house. I think it's the the one that he has the link on, where it is uh, geographically. I'm almost positive it is. Somebody must have. It's one of rebuilt those. that house now. I mean, oh, it was, definitely. I bet it looks like completely different now. That's crazy. You would go up this oh, cool. very tiny road that just had one house on it, um, and it was a mansion. Like it was an actual full blown mansion, and it was it was really scary because it was gigantic. And the thing about most, like you know, I'm making like scare quotes haunted houses that kids find out about is once you get there, they've already been trashed, right? Like people have written Satan rules and spray paint everywhere. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's beer cans everywhere. This place wasn't like that. Like it wasn't trashed. What made it, that made it really scary. Like it was like mostly intact outside of a few broken windows. And it was so big and so creepy that when you would walk around there, it would take you so long to get in and out that when you went further into it, it was terrifying because you knew it was going to take you a long time to get back out of it. And one time, we were there and all of a sudden we heard somebody screaming outside and we looked out the window and there was this guy screaming like, get out of the mansion, get out of the mansion. Wow. And and we didn't know what to do. And our one friend was like, I'm going to jump off the roof. And I was like, don't jump off the roof. Like It's <laughs> way better to just get caught by this crazy man than do that. And And we ran back outside and just started running away from the guy. And he was like, don't go in the mansion. Don't go in the mansion. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. And I was just like, you just want to keep it for yourself. Um, <laughs> I mean, looking back on it, he was almost definitely just a concerned neighbor who didn't want kids uh, breaking their legs or, or getting cut and getting tetanus. He was normal and lived in West Orange. That was the problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Can't trust anybody. Well, Mike D, thank you for organizing that because... Everybody's heard the mafia was a real presence in our lives. We had Mafia Road in West Orange, and you can now go on a a if you want to know what it was like to explore these cursed woods in the mid to late nineties. Thanks to Mike D, you can. Now I want to go ahead do a couple quick things. And I'm calling tonight. First of all, all three of us live in New Jersey. Uh, Mike and I have moved back from the city, so this means that uh. We all have some still, I think, presence. Like, just want to take a quick turn and see if we can all think of something to uh, maybe talk about how the mafia affects our lives today. Even thank them if, uh, if I would be. like to thoroughly thank the mafia for being gamefully employed and uh, <laughs> able to <laughs> work on large concrete infrastructure projects that help me pay the bills. So, so thank it, you organized crime, Nick. As a card-carrying union member, you do think there is still. I mean, I don't want you getting in trouble, but the rumors of the uh, construction industry, infrastructure industries, they're tied together. Yeah, but I think like now it's like so much more like uh, legitimately making like a lot of money, actually doing something, and and uh, you know that you know there's more money to be be made legally as a legally organized um, you know construction company than there is in. You know, uh, doing like low end street stuff. You know what I mean. So the uh, it's fair to say that the the decades and decades of work that the mob put in to get to a point where they could they could run it legitimately. You're yeah. not you're not saying you're certainly not saying that anybody involved now. Who knows? But you're not saying. It. But yeah, certainly the no track idea. they've laid for decades has helped helped get you your your living and your well being. Get me absolutely hundred percent. I want to go ahead and If it wasn't for concrete, Nikki Franco's, uh, Nikki Bonaduce, I'd be like wandering the Alaskan woods or something like, I don't know. I want to thank the mafia because I, uh, I moved to an area of New Jersey where I have to pay a monthly fee for my garbage pickup. The trucks have a very Italian last name on them and God bless them. It is cheap to a degree where mathematically it cannot work. I see that each truck has a driver and two guys. 
I know what I'm paying. I assume my neighbors are paying that or less because they are grandfathered in at old rates. I've been told by neighbors of mine that they've lived in their houses for 30 years and the rates have never gone up. Um, I have to assume that there's money being laundered. I'm not naming the name of the uh, company. I'm not an idiot, but I just have to say cheap trash pickup. Thanks, mob. Thanks, mob. Mike, do anything yeah, come we, to mind where we you drive go? it out to Pennsylvania and we burn it in a field? <laughs> <laughs> That's what really happens. <laughs> oh, make sure you separate your recycling. <laughs> Mike, D, uh, it's okay if the answer is no. Anything come to mind from the past, present, uh, future where you go, you know what? It's not all bad out here in Jersey. These guys help. You know, uh, the, the thing for me is I, I would like to, I'd like to thank the mafia that <clears throat> the Belmont Tavern still exists <laughs> in the exact same space it does in the block I grew up on. I've been there. I've been there recently. I continue to go there. Nothing has changed in this place. The food is still amazing. You still have to wait multiple hours for a table because there is no such thing as reservations. And, you know, and it's still cash only. Nothing about it is different. You can still get your stretches, Chicken Savoy, you know. So it makes me happy that that is a protected institution, which has Mm -hmm. not changed in decades. Mm -hmm. And look, there's a lot of traditions that the mob has that uh, lead to mayhem, death. But when it comes to traditions like the Belmont Tavern... Look, you're not going to throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, take the Belmont Tavern. I mean, everybody sports. deserves a little bit of Gavadil and Pachis after a hard day of racketeering. That sentence, Gavadil, this is the second time you've said the phrase Gavadil and Pachis. I don't know what it is. It's the type of thing. So, there are Italian words. It? There are Italian words said in New Jersey that are not real Italian, but that you just hear them. Gabagool Muzzarell. What is Gavadil and Patches? I'll give you, I can give you the Metagon <laughs> version. So the Metagon version of Gavadil and Patches, Gavadil is Cavatelli. Cavatelli, and, got it. And Patches is Regatta. So basically. Pachi? I thought Regot was Regatta. No, Patches. Patches? So, That's how yeah. you say Regatta? Patches. Yeah, pa- it's r- r- Pachis. Oh, I thought you were saying pachis. Like no, no, Gavadil and pachis. Ah, comes pachis. In, it's, the, it's cheese that comes in like a pot. You scoop it out. Oh, that sounds I good. I think out of the pot. Yeah, and they have the Got best Gavadil and pachis. Great beeps. They great long hots. And then of course stretches the legendary stretches chicken savoy. That's what you go there for. Rotown is produced, edited, mixed, all that stuff by Carson Cop. West Orange is own Carson Cop. Intro music is Orange Water by GDP, another West Orange native. Everybody, if you like the show, please tell people we exist. Tell people it's worth their time and money. Word of mouth is the best advertising we could ever ask for. And if you need me, just call my name. I'll be at the TikTok Diner. <laughs>